It was July 1961 when the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers gathered for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking loss as the Packers just squandered away a late lead in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles. And all the players had lived with that loss for those months until that first day of training camp, and they came ready to work. Some of them said that they were ready to learn new skills so that they could have a better season and actually clinch the championship that year. And yet Coach Vince Lombardi had a different plan for them that day. On the first day of camp, he gathered his team together, and he walked up in front of them, and he held one of these up, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. You see, while they wanted to learn some new advanced skill, the coach recognized the need to go back and focus on the basics. It's time to get back to basics, he said. This is a football. He drew on the chalkboard a rectangle. This is a football field. Whenever you take this and you go all the way to the end, you actually win points. He went back to the basics. And you know, sometimes I think that's important for us as Christians and we who call ourselves members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that sometimes we can get so enamored with the next great shiny thing when it comes to uh, doing church. But we need to come back to the basics. And I think today, if we will just open our hearts and minds, we will recognize that God wants to do a great and mighty work in each and every one of us, and He wants to do a great and mighty work through our church, but it's going to happen as we devote ourselves to the basics of what it means to be His people in this community. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, we don't have to guess what the basics are. We are given the basics that the church in the first century, committed themselves to. So today I want to ask you to take your Bible and, and maybe turn it or turn it on uh, to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And listen, if you're, a, if you're a new person with us today, or if maybe you're checking out this church thing and you're not sure what it's all about, or maybe if you're not even a Christian, this is a great day to be with us because today I think you'll see a little behind-the-scenes look at why we do what we do here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. Maybe it'll make a little more sense to you about how we operate as a community of believers who share faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, my prayer is today, if you've never committed your life to Christ, that today you will put your confidence in Him to forgive you of your sin, to be your Lord and your Savior. And maybe you've already done that, but you're kind of on the periphery of a church and, and you, you see church more as something that you attend and something that you watch or you listen to. But listen, you need to be a part of a local expression of what Christ is doing in this world. And we invite you, partner with us, join us here if your heart is knit with our heart. But here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we're, we're told... Uh, by Luke, who is writing this history of the first century church. He, he, he's telling us a little bit about what the church is doing in those early days after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and Christ's ascension back to God the Father in heaven. What did the church do after Jesus was no longer with them? And in this verse, he, 
he lays out for us what they did, what they devoted themselves to, those basics that they gave their time and attention to. In fact, he tells us that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves. These are qualities that they uh, intensely dedicated themselves to. Uh, the word means an intensity of effort. It, they devoted. This wasn't just something that they dabbled in. They devoted their time and their attention, their focus and their energy on these basics. And, and it's a word of continuity. This wasn't a fad. And then they kind of got enamored with something else and they drifted off and did something else. No, these are the things that we're going to see today that they were intensely and continually committed to. And there may be a lot that I do and a lot that you do and a lot that we do as a church, but we're going to miss the mark if we don't come back to the basics and give ourselves to these things. Specifically, he tells us in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Let's begin by noticing, first of all, he says that the first century church was a loving church. They, they devoted themselves to, uh, they were a learning church. They devoted themselves to learning the word of God. It says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves, here it is, to the apostles' teaching. They were a learning church. They gave themselves with intensity and continuity to the teaching of the apostles. They wanted to learn the word of God so that they could live by the principles of God's word. They wanted to learn more about Jesus so they could live more like Jesus in their day-to-day -day lives. They gave themselves to learning the word of God. It was the number one priority. It's the first in the list here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And think about why this was such a priority in the first century church. Whenever we read the Gospels, the largest number of people that we can attribute to Jesus' ministry who were his followers were 500. He appeared to over 500 alive after his resurrection. But after Jesus went back to the Father in heaven on the day of Pentecost. We only see 120 people gathered in that upper room praying for what God was going to do in the world next. And the Holy Spirit fell upon that little group of believers in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says they went out into the streets and they began to preach and teach and witness and talk about Jesus. In fact, the crowd's attention was so garnered by the talk of these Christians, that Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, had an audience, and he gets up and he preaches the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God's son. He died on a cross for our sins. He was buried, but he rose from the dead, and we are eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And the Bible says on that day, 3,000 people committed their lives to Jesus Christ. 3,000. Can you imagine that? This sanctuary on its best day will seat 500 people. Could you imagine 
every seat in this room taken, we would have to fill it up six times to get to 3,000 people. And imagine all 3,000 of those people were brand new converts to Jesus. They didn't know the ABCs or the one, two, threes about Jesus. All they knew is that we are sinners, Christ is a great savior, and I've committed my life to him. And now somebody's got to come alongside of them and teach them the word of God. And that's the job of the apostles in the first century. You say, why the apostles? Because the apostles in the first century were the eyewitnesses of the ministry and the resurrection of Jesus. The apostles were the ones who were sent by Jesus to tell the good news of his love and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. In the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we are told that the church that Jesus founded was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. The reason I stress that today is because you need to know if you're checking out Christianity or you're wondering what church is all about or what our faith is all about, I can tell you our faith, the Christian faith, is not based on myth or fables. Our Christian faith is based on the eyewitness testimony of those who knew Jesus, who witnessed his life, his miracles, who heard his message, who watched him die, who believed in their heart that he would never rise from the dead. What transformed their lives where they were willing to go from great disappointment and unbelief to the point where most of them died as martyrs for Jesus? Only one thing can account for their transformation. That's the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, they passed on the teaching about Jesus. They devoted themselves to uh, those 39 books of the Old Testament, especially as the Old Testament points to Jesus. They, they communicated that oral tradition of who Jesus was and what he did and what he said and where he went that would later be written down and become the four Gospels in our New Testament. And I'm not an apostle. We don't have apostles today. I'm not even an epistle. I, I, I can't even make it to that level. I, I, I'm not an apostle, but I am one as your pastor committed to preaching and teaching the word of God. And this scripture, the New Testament that we hold, is the written residue of the eyewitnesses who lived with Jesus and who saw him and knew him and who passed on this great message to us. One of the things that you'll discover if you're a skeptic is that the New Testament documents hold up to historical scrutiny. They are reliable. And I know it's popular on YouTube to say, oh, you can't trust the Bible. It's been changed throughout the centuries. And yet that is absolutely not true. And even secular New Testament scholars today have to admit that we have a trustworthy account of what happened in those early days of the Christian faith. And listen, that's also an important part of my job here as your pastor is to devote myself to preparing the Word of God to communicate it to you and to preach it to you and to teach it to you. And it's your responsibility as a follower of Christ to not just show up, but to lean in, to devote yourself to the study of God's Word, to the application of God's Word in your own life. That's why worship is so important. That is why being a part of a life group where you can dig deeper into the Word of God with other people is so important. 
And I'm going to encourage you, let us always be a church that is known as a learning church, that we're devoting ourselves to the Word of God. They were not only a learning church, they were a loving church, as I wanted to skip to earlier. I get so excited about the fact that they were not only a learning church, because that can sound cold and institutional. It can sound like a class, but it was far from it. The writer of Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also to the fellowship. The fellowship. They were a loving church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And there again, they devoted themselves to this. They leaned in. It's the picture of a runner on a race course who stretches out his or her body as they reach the finish line. That's the picture of the word devoted. And one thing they devoted themselves to was fellowship. We Baptists think we have a a good understanding of the word fellowship, but I'm afraid we've kind of missed it. I mean, we, we think we're good at fellowship. We even have a room we call the Fellowship Hall. I mean, we're serious about our fellowship because we dedicate a whole room to it. And so often in the minds of church members, uh, fellowship is just simply getting together and eating together. And I'm certainly not opposed to that. I enjoy hanging out with other Christians and I enjoy uh, good fellowship meals with other Christians. One of the great tragedies of COVID-19 has been the uh, physical distancing that we have to practice in order to protect other people. But a part of the things that I know many of you miss, and I know I miss, is just sitting down together at a meal with other people. But listen, that's not really what the word means. The word in the Greek is the word koinonia, K-O-I-N-I-A, koinonia. And it's a, it's a word that means a partnership. Sometimes in secular Greek, the word koinonia would be used of business partners. Partners that decide to go into business and they're going to share all the risk of going into this business. They may lose everything, but they're going to share the risk of going into business and they're going to share the responsibilities of making that business successful. And if it is successful, they'll share the rewards. That's the word koinonia. It means to have a partnership. Sometimes in secular Greek, it was also used of the marriage relationship. Not only was it a partnership, there was an intimacy to this partnership, a sharing of life together, a commonality together. So when Luke tells us that the first century church committed themselves, devoted themselves to the fellowship, he is saying there was a deep partnership and intimacy that drew them together and held them together. They weren't all the same. They didn't look all the same. They didn't speak all the same language. What was it then that made this eclectic group of people so united, so focused? It was their common faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. He was the one who created the fellowship and held that fellowship together, that partnership, that common intensity and intimacy. It was Jesus who made the difference. And can I tell you, as a church in the 21st century, there are many things that seek to divide us and separate us and tear us apart and pull us apart. And yet what brings us together is our common faith, 
in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. I've gone on international mission trips where I have been surrounded by people I had never met until that very moment, and they were worshiping and praying and preaching in a language that I didn't speak. Spanish or Portuguese or, or French Creole or Haitian Creole. And, and I'm sitting there in a room full of people on those trips, not understanding the language, not really knowing these people beyond just having met them. And yet there is an overwhelming sense of fellowship, koinonia, when you're with other Christians. And all those things that make us different fall to the side. And what makes us one rises to the top. And his name is Jesus. In Fort Caroline Baptist Church, I have done my, my best to constantly implore us, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light and glory of his face. I don't want you leaving this church on any given Sunday looking at me. I don't want you leaving this service looking at one another. I don't even want you looking at yourself. I want us turning our gaze upon Jesus because he's the one who unites us. He's the one who brings us together. He's the one who put us on mission in this community to share his love with as many people as possible. I'm glad fellowship involves eating, but it's certainly more than eating. It's loving Jesus and loving each other because of Jesus. That is the kind of fellowship that we need. And I can't command this kind of fellowship. I can't point my finger and say, you will love each other. It's like a parent. You, if you've got two children and they're arguing, you can command that they hug and say, I'm sorry. And they may obey on the outside, but they're rebelling on the inside because there are just certain things you cannot pull off with a command. But what we can do is look to Jesus and see in Him that thread that ties us together, that one who is worthy of our focus and attention so while other people want to be pulled apart by politics and racism and prejudice and economic disparities and nationalities and any other thing that you can think of, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to set the example of true fellowship, partnership, and intimacy with others because we love Jesus and we love each other. They were a learning church. They were a loving church. But they were also a worshiping church because in verse 42, he says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then he says, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's a picture of the worship life of the first century church in the city of Jerusalem. The breaking of bread, he begins with. Some people ask, well, is this a common meal, this breaking of bread? Is this just a common meal that you would have with another person? Or is this communion? Is this the Lord's Supper? And I agree with New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce, yes. <laughs> yes, it's both. It is both the picture of common meals together, Christian to Christian, family to family, house to house, 
breaking their bread together. But in that first century church, what would often happen in the assembled people is they would then clear off the table after they had had their common meal together and the host or the spiritual leader of that local church in that home would then take simple bread and wine and they would remember the Lord's death. They would remember that it was Christ who died for them on the cross of Calvary. And that transformed their everyday meals into times of worship. In fact, whenever you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul would later have to reprimand that church because they had gotten it so wrong. They had turned their common fellowship meals into something that created all kinds of division in the church. And he says, if you're going to act like that, just eat at home. But when you do come together, make sure you remember the Lord's body and His blood. By the way, next Sunday, we're going to observe communion here in this service. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it'll be a reminder that that bread that we share together symbolizes the body of Christ crucified for us on the cross. That cup that we drink symbolizes His shed blood for us that forgives us of our sin, paid the price so that we could be right with a holy God. And a part of worship is to come together in fellowship, but also in communion where we remember who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. But did you notice in verse 42, he also said they devoted themselves to the prayers. There are many words in the New Testament in the Greek language that are translated prayer this is one of them, and it's the most general term for prayer in the Greek language. It, it refers to prayers of all kinds. The prayers that he says they devoted themselves to as a part of their worship life was prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of intercession, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of supplication and petition. So, so their prayer time is just them talking to God, talking to God individually, talking to God together as a group of believers, praising God, thanking God, confessing their sins to God, praying for other people to God, asking for God to meet their needs, these were a people marked by a pattern of prayer in their lives. And if there's one area that I feel convicted as your pastor that I've not done a very good job in my own life and as our church life, is that we're not always the people of prayer that we ought to be. Sometimes we, we give more attention to organizing than we do agonizing. More attention to planning than we do praying. And it sometimes feels like we only relegate prayers to those simple rote prayers that we just get into a habit of praying or we don't really pray with intensity until there's a problem. And oh no, we better pray. And yet the first century church was marked by a devotion to prayer. It wasn't a prayer service. It was a prayer life. They prayed all kinds of times and all kinds of places for all kinds of reasons. And God heard their prayers and worked in their prayers in powerful ways that you just can't explain other than the grace of God. But whether it was individually or congregationally, they gave themselves with intensity to prayer. 
And may we do the same. May that become more of a characteristic of our lives in this church in the days ahead. So they were, they were a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a loving church. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They were a worshiping church. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread and to prayer. But fourthly, they were also a witnessing church. They did not become so enamored with their own individual lives or their close-knit fellowship that they forgot to tell others about Jesus. They recognized that their God is a missionary God. That He sent His one and only Son into the world to save sinners. And that Jesus had also sent them. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. And notice what happened as a result of their, their devotion to being a learning and loving and worshiping church. It paved the way for them to be a witnessing church because in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we read, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They went about gossiping the gospel and sharing the good news and telling the next person about Jesus like someone had told them about Jesus. And because of that, God added to the church daily those who were being saved. By the way, you don't get added to the church by God unless you're saved. And if you're saved, you're added to the church. The New Testament knows nothing about Lone Ranger Christians. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Some of you are too young to even know who the Lone Ranger is. I am showing my age. I I just showed my age. But the New Testament always pictures people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and spiritually and mystically being birthed into and baptized into the family of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God added to the church daily those who were being saved. And that, my friend, is why God has placed this church here in this community. It was never just about us. It was never just about you. It was never just about your family. It was never just about your worship style. It was never just about your preference. All of that pales in comparison to the missionary mandate of the Father's heart to go and reach one more person with the gospel of Jesus. That is why we are here as a church. We're here to tell even more people about Jesus than ever before. And only God can save. Only God can add to the church, but we can be partners with Him in sharing the good news of Jesus. The bottom line is God will bless our church if we focus on the basics of learning, loving, worshiping, and witnessing. God will bless that kind of church. In that 1961 season, the Green Bay Packers went to the NFL championship again. And this time, they shut out the New York Giants and clinched the championship. And can I tell you, if we will focus on the basics 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, our Savior's name is Jesus. We are here to learn more about Him by studying His Word. We're here to love each other and to show this world what real unity looks like. We're here to worship our God, our Lord, our Savior. And we're here to tell a watching world about Him. And if we will do that, God will bless. Maybe for you, what that means is you're already a member, you're already a partner with us here at Fort Caroline, but it's time to, it's time to step up your commitment. It's time to come back to the basics. Which one of these areas do you need to focus on that you've let lag? Where are you struggling? Where do you need to say, God, help me here. I, I need to learn more about you. I can't just... Do it sporadically. I need to be studying your word more. I need to be in church hearing the preaching of your word more consistently. I need to get into a life group where I can study the scriptures in context with other people so that I can apply it to my life. Maybe for you it's saying, God, I need to rededicate my life in loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've allowed disunity to invade the ranks. Please forgive me. Help me to build up the koinonia, the fellowship, not to tear it down. Maybe for you, it's, it's God help me to rededicate myself to worshiping you in spirit and in truth and in prayer. Or maybe for you, it's witnessing you've, you've not shared your faith with Jesus in a long time. You've not invited anyone to church or to watch online. You, you don't share things about what God is doing in your life. It's like you're keeping it all to yourself. But there's somebody who needs to hear from you about why Jesus is the answer. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to complete the membership course. Whatever it is you need to do in your next step. Maybe you need to start giving financially. I don't know. What is it that God's calling you to do? But maybe today there's somebody in this room who needs Jesus. Or there's someone watching this morning who needs Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is the day right now. Right now. No more excuses. No more delay. It's time to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you want to say yes to him, talk to him where you are. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this reminder of the basics that you've called us to devote ourselves to. And Father, we thank you that the rallying cry is to come to Jesus. And we pray that those of us who are already followers of Jesus would rededicate ourselves. And by your grace and through your strength, we would be the people that you want us to be. And we would be the church that you would have us to be in this community, and in this world. Father, I also pray if there's someone here or listening or watching who needs Jesus, that today they would say yes to Him who lived a perfect life, who offered His own life for their forgiveness of sin when He died on the cross of Calvary. And He rose from the dead. And we have eyewitness testimony that He rose from the dead. And if that's the case, then He is who He says He is. He is the Son of God. And He can do what He promises He can do. He can forgive of sin and give us the gift of eternal life. And all we have to do in return is confess our sin and put our confidence in Him. So today, if you need to say yes to Jesus, just say right where you are, Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is your Son, buried, crucified, resurrected. And today I confess my sin and I confess my faith in Him. I put my belief, my trust, my confidence in Him, in Him alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Know that your pastor loves you, and God loves you.
Thank you.